Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. today to our Wednesday message. If it's Wednesday, we're going to be talking about prophecy. Welcome to our series called Pondering Prophecy. You know, we've been dedicating each one of these Wednesdays to prophecy, and these video messages that you're seeing today are available not only on our website, but also at our YouTube channel at Faith Dialogue, and also as podcasts on Google Podcasts as well as SoundCloud. You know, over the past few weeks, we've been looking at a number of different uh, prophecies, different portions of Scripture that speak towards the end time. And before we begin our topic for today, which is Daniel's four beasts, I want to take some time and let you know exactly why it is that we teach prophecy. In specific, we teach end times prophecy also called eschatology. Now that's just a fancy Latin word that means study of the last things. You know, I came up with three main reasons why we teach prophecy. I just wanted to share with them them with you today before we we continue. Now the first reason, uh, number one reason, is that prophecy shows the character and the sovereignty of God. You know, only God is able to know both the beginning as well as the end of all things. And only God then can speak with 100% accuracy of those things that will happen in the future. Now, you can argue theology with somebody until you're blue in the face. Uh, But even a skeptic, if they truly knew what the prophets had said, and how it was so accurately foretold and actually came true, uh, they would be amazed. If they knew the specificity, the amazing detail, the, the dates, the nations, the outcomes, long before it happened, only God can do this. And he did it through his prophets and ensured the fulfillment of those prophecies hundreds and sometimes thousands of years later. You know, prophecy is actually a great evangelism tool. It, it wakes us up to this sovereign God. We have such an amazing God. Uh, Number two, we say that studying prophecy actually brings a blessing. You know, one of the books that we go to often, our kind of go-to book when it comes to end-time prophecy, is the book of Revelation. And the book of Revelation is, is truly unique. It's the only book in the Bible, of all the 66 books in the Bible, it's the only book in the Bible that comes with a blessing. It says, it says, blessed are those who read. Uh, so if you're reading the book of Revelation, you actually get a blessing. The Apostle Paul actually called the coming of the Lord uh, the blessed hope. And we're to encourage each other, and, and even more so when we say, see the day approaching. So uh, prophecy and the study of end times is truly a blessing. And number three, I, I just threw, I thought I'd throw this in. There's a number of other reasons we teach prophecy, uh, but this one is important, to, especially to me. As a pastor, it's part of my calling to teach prophecy. Prophecy is actually more than 25% of the entire Bible. The Apostle Paul taught prophecy with a, with a sense of urgency, and that was 2,000 years ago, uh, particularly regarding the day of the Lord. I believe that by teaching prophecy, we are reminded how unique the Bible truly is. 
we're not only reminded of the return of the Lord uh, for his bride, and we are told that this, this return is, is imminent. Uh, we should be watching for his return and being good stewards of all the talents he's given to us until he, and that's Jesus, returns. That's what I'm called to do, and that's what we're all called to do. So as we continue in our series, there's, there's so much unfulfilled prophecy uh, and so many, so many signs of the time uh, that we need to cover. Uh, but today we're going to be talking about the four beasts that we see in the, uh, the book of Daniel. Did you know, by the way, we are the generation that has seen the greatest sign that was to be one of the final, the final signs of the final seven years, or the coming of the Lord. And that was the establishment of the nation of Israel. That happened on May 14, 1948, just as the prophet Isaiah had prophesied nearly 2,700 years before it happened. And it happened just as he said it would. It happened in one day. You know, so today, we're going to be looking at chapter 7 in the book of Daniel. And in this, in this chapter 7, Daniel has, has a vision of, of four beasts. Uh, I've selected this passage for a couple of reasons. The primary reason is when we look at the New Testament book of Revelation and we read of beasts and symbols and signs, sometimes they're difficult to understand. And that's why we need to be able to study uh, the book of Daniel because many of those signs are also shown in, many of those symbols are also in the book of Daniel. And it gives us insight. Um, if we do this, we'll be able to accurately understand the future events, the characters, the nations, and the likely timeline. There's a, there's a saying, and, and I've said it many times, is that, and that is that the Bible interprets the Bible. The Bible interprets the Bible. The Bible is a story of redemption and restoration. God is truly the author of the Bible and he used over 40 human authors uh, writing in three languages on three different continents over a period of 2,000 years. But when we pick up the Bible today, it, 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 it fits cohesively together. It's, it's one story. O only God can, can actually do that. Let me give you an example of why we use the Bible to interpret the Bible. In the book of Revelation, we see a beast coming out of the sea, and it's described in very, very cryptic and symbolic language. And I'll read it for you here, and we'll talk about it again later. Then I, this is John speaking, stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns. And on his horns were ten crowns, and on his head a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard, his feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and his great authority. So imagine just for a moment, you're just kind of flipping through the Bible, and you happen to stumble on this chapter of Revelation, this chapter 13. And it's completely out of context. You don't know what was written before or after. You're just reading this. Well, this would be pretty confusing. The language is mysterious. How, how, do we under, how do we understand this this beast with the seven heads and ten horns? Well, again, while the language is puzzling, remember the saying that the Bible interprets the Bible. And we can see very similar language in the book of Daniel. 
So today we'll look at Daniel chapter 7 and we'll see how it fully fits in with this language that's also used by John in Revelation chapter 13. In fact, not only does it explain the symbolism that we see in chapter 13, it also expands the story. It points specifically to the end of days, the coming of the Lord and the redemption of mankind. So if you recall the book of Daniel, if you've been with us before, very early in Daniel's tenure in Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, who is the king that had conquered Jerusalem and all of Judea and had taken Daniel as well as his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, back to Babylon. This Nebuchadnezzar had a dream and the king summons the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the astrologers, all the, the wise guys, to not only interpret the dream, but also tell him what the dream actually was. Well, to summarize the story, none of them can do it, but Daniel can. And the reason is, is because he trusted the Lord. Daniel tells him the dream was about a huge statue. And then Daniel starts to describe the statue and the parts of the statue. And he begins with the head of gold um, and, the, and goes all the way down to the feet and the toes of baked iron and clay. Daniel tells him, this is uh, Nebuchadnezzar, that the statue represents the four principal kingdoms of the world, beginning with Babylon, and then the kingdoms that will follow, Medo-Persia, followed by Greece, and then followed by Rome. Daniel finishes his interpretation with a very important prophecy and actually a, a great hope for us. The promise of the redemption and the actual restoration of the earth. Let me read those three verses from Daniel chapter 2, verses 44 to 46. And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to any other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all of these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Inasmuch as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and what it broke into pieces of iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain, and the interpretation is sure. This prophecy from Daniel it tells a great deal about the time of the end, the coming of the Lord, and the culmination of this present age. Daniel says, in the days of these kings, now this refers to the to ten toes that Daniel sees in chapter 2. It also is the ten horns that Daniel sees in chapter 7. And it's actually the same ten horns that we will see in the book of Revelation chapter 13. The angel Gabriel comes to Daniel and actually explains the vision. The ten toes are the same as the ten horns, represent ten kings. Or sometimes we think of it as a confederation of ten kings or nations that will rise up in the end days. Now, they don't represent any previous or present confederation of nations. The scriptures tell us that in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. Now, this kingdom does not speak of the church, as some believe, nor the restored nation of Israel or any other nation. But this is the eternal king of the kingdom of heaven, the new Jerusalem that is described in the book of Revelation as coming down out of the heavens. 
This is immediately after what is described as the rock or the stone that comes down from heaven and smashes the remaining kingdoms on the earth. Now, turning to the seventh chapter of Daniel, we'll see a striking parallel with the vision of Daniel in chapter 7 and the dream of Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 2. It, it's, if, it's in these parallels that we have the, the opportunity to really get the interpretation accurate and the prophecy correct. It's the seventh chapter of this book, Dan, the, of Daniel, that Daniel wakes up and records the main points, not everything, but the main points of the vision that he had. This is years after the interpretation that he gave to Nebuchadnezzar, as this is King Belshazzar, which is the last king of Babylon. Daniel describes his vision. He sees four beasts. You could say they are animals, but they're really quite unusual. A lion with wings, a bear that looked pretty much normal, but then there was a leopard that had wings and had four heads, and then Daniel describes what he says is the most horrible and most terrible of all, a beast with iron teeth that had ten horns. And now here's the thing. Daniel wonders about this strange vision. And you also would likely be wondering, but see, the angel then comes to Daniel. This is most likely the angel Gabriel. And tells him that the beast also represent the same four kingdoms the same vision that Daniel had back in chapter 2. Daniel previously revealed to King Nebuchadnezzar that there would be four kingdoms, and we know these kingdoms. They're Babylon, Medo-Persia, followed by Greece, and then by Rome. We also know that the ten toes, the ten horns, represent an end-time end -time kingdoms that will be present when the Lord returns. They come out of Rome. That's what the prophecy says. And that's why many look to a revived Roman Empire just prior to the second coming of Jesus. Uh, that, and this, this revived Roman Empire would have to be more important and more prominent than the present EU, this loose confederation of European nations. Now, the question is, why is this important? Well, the point we want to make is today is that when people are looking at prophecy, it's sometimes easy to see these creatures, these, these symbols, these beasts, and just to randomly uh, assign um, nations to them or, or throw up our hands and say, I just don't get it. Um, when, we, when we begin to use unusual or contemporary uh, nations and assign them to these beasts, we, we make a grave mistake. Uh, for example, there are some that say the bear represents Russia, the lion represents Great Britain, and the leopard represents Germany. Uh, but see, this is a trap. Um, and it's a trap to look at our, our present nations and the configurations of nations and then reassign these symbols to contemporary nations. However, reassigning the symbols to the beasts of these ancient prophecies uh, violates a well-established principle of, of, uh, of Bible interpretation, and that is don't mess with the symbols. Now, that's my words, not what the scholars say, but don't mess with the symbols. If the symbol clearly identifies a specific nation or a thing or a people or a group or a type, then keep that interpretation unless there's a reason to change it. At the same time, you know, it's equally, equally disappointing, at least for me, uh, when I, I hear the book of Revelation taught as just completely symbolic. 
symbolizing any nation at any time or perhaps a number of different nations or any people or, or any time period. That's, that's not how the Bible is to be understood and particularly prophecy. If we try to take a look at the Old, time, Old, Old Testament prophecies and say they could, be, they could be fulfilled any which way, well then what about the literal fulfillment that we actually see? We've got to stick with the way that the Bible takes a look at prophecy and how prophecy is literally fulfilled. You know, the Bible, the prophecy of Daniel and Daniel chapter 2 was, is so accurate. Speaking of accuracy, it, it's so accuracy that it actually, it actually boggles the mind. And, and as a result, skeptics want to dismiss the historical dating of the book of Daniel and they want to apply a more recent dating. You know, for these skeptics, it's mind-blowing that Daniel will not only be able to get the four empires correctly, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and then Rome, but Daniel also could predict that Medo-Persia would be two aligned kingdoms. In Daniel 8, the angel tells Daniel, the ram that you saw possessing the two horns stands for the kings of Medo and Persia. You can't get any clearer than that. That's in Daniel chapter 8. Later, we're told in the prophecy that one of the horns, Persia, is actually larger than the other, which are the Medes. Other amazing insights into the prophecy was that the leopard, representing Greece, had four heads. This is what the prophecy says. It says, and after this I looked, and there was another, like a leopard, which had on its back four wings like a bird. It also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. And history tells us that Alexander the Great, this young, amazing king of, of Greece that conquered so much of the known world um, and died early. He died at, at 32 years of old. His kingdom was, car was carved up by, by four generals. And this is history. You can, you can read about it. Cassander, who ruled Macedon, ancient northern Greece. Lysimius, who ruled, ruled much of Asia Minor, present-day Turkey. Ptolemy, who, who ruled Egypt and northern Africa. And then Seleucus who ruled much of Alexander's conquest of Asia, including much of the Middle East. Now, the eighth chapter of Daniel, there's even more detail on these, on these kingdoms of Greece, as well as Medo-Persia. There's a vision that shows a, a goat, representing Greece, exceedingly fast, that overcomes the goat with the two horns. And that's the, the kingdom of, of Medo-Persia. It says, then the male goat magnified himself exceedingly. But as soon as he was mighty, the, horn, the large horn was broken off. You see, Alexander died at a very early age. I mean, who would expect that this, this mighty warrior, this king, would die at an age of 32? And it says, and in his place there came up four conspicuous horns toward the four winds of heaven. You see, again, exactly the same type of prophecy, describing it in a different way, but the symbolism here is sure. We're talking about four rulers that replace the one. The symbols may vary from vision to vision. The detail, however, becomes more and more clear. The one ruler is replaced by these four. Now, some and perhaps some of you may not have an appreciation for all of this, this history. I'm a history buff. But, but really, if we tune into these prophecy messages, um, we'll also find they're interesting because they all point to the second coming of Christ. Um, I have an interest in the second coming of Christ. Paul had an interest in the second coming of Christ. And, and all of the events that signal that that day is approaching. 
However, these accurate prophecies of Daniel give us both the confidence and the assurance of the prophecies of the second coming. All of these prophecies use a common language, common symbols, and there's nuances of, of previously fulfilled prophecies that speak as well into, into future events, including a com the coming cast of characters in the end of days. Notice the worship, for example, that we see in the book of Daniel, and it mirrors very nicely what we read off in the book of Revelation. Daniel chapter 7 says this, it says, I watched till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow, and his hair on his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its, its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A, a, a thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. You know, this, this beautiful picture of heaven is so similar to what the Apostle John witnessed as well. Let me quote parts of the Revelation chapter 4, not the entire thing, but just parts, and show you the similarities. Now, we're going to contrast what we see here in Revelation chapter 4 with what the prophecies talks about as the kingdom of the earth, the ruthless and terrible beasts. Revelation chapter 4, beginning in verse 2, it says, Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardis stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones. And on the thrones I, I saw 24 elders seated, clothed in white robes. And they had crowns of gold on their heads. And then verse 10 it says, The 24 elders fell down before him who sits on the throne and worship him and li who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and are created. This is our God. This is the throne room. And we are his people, and we're represented there in the throne by these 24 elders that worship and honor and give glory to the Lord. This is a picture of righteousness, of holiness, and of majesty. But that's not how the scriptures depict these world empires. The beast seen in Daniel, as well as the book of Revelation, are terrible. The bear representing the Medes and the Persians was to have three ribs in its mouth likely representing the conquest of Egypt, Babylon, and Lydia. And it was said to it, devour much flesh. And the fourth beast, which we understand represents Rome, as well as the final kingdom, is described in these words. Terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. Well, it, it, it's one thing to understand who these nations are, Medo, Persia, and Greece. But it's also one thing to see that these nations are ruled by human rulers, and they're ruthless, horrible, vicious, and terrible. Those are words that the, the scriptures say. Those four words, ruthless, horrible, vicious, and terrible. You know, all words which we, we truly understand today. If we have any co uh, concept of, of, of history, or even contemporary nations today, so understanding the prophecies of Daniel and beginning to become familiar with this language that is used to describe these kings, these, these world leaders, when we read John's description of the final world leader, this beast, 
the one we know as the Antichrist, all of these words of Daniel help us understand who and what this final beast is like. Let me reread again Revelation chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. It says, Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. And I saw one of the heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. And all of the world marveled and followed the beast. So they worshiped the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? You know, without our understanding of the prophecies of Daniel and seeing the beast with seven heads, ten hordes, ten crowns that looked something like a leopard, something like a bear, this would be confusing. Uh, in itself, it would be terrifying. However, we can read and we can understand this prophecy of this final world leader because we have the prophecies of Daniel. As I said, the Bible interprets the Bible. This is what's coming. And this is why we preach on the end times. We preach this because that time is not yet. We can turn. We have time. We can turn from our, our wicked ways. We can repent and we can come to the Lord. We can embrace the one that is soon returning to the earth. In the letter to the Church of Philadelphia, um, in the book of Revelation, one of the end time churches, Jesus wrote this. He said, because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I am coming quickly. The apostle Paul, in teaching about the second coming of Jesus, he calls it the, the blessed hope, something that we're look, to look forward to, something that we are to lift up our eyes and realize that our redemption is coming close or coming soon. You know, there w will be a generation of believers that will never die. Paul says, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. You know, my friends, look around. Not only the reestablishment of Israel, but we see many signs today that point to the soon return of the Lord. Not only is Israel back in the land, but there's also talk of building a, a second temple. We see the technology that can be used by the Antichrist to require everyone to have a mark, a sign, that no one can buy or sell without. My friends, don't wait till tomorrow what you can accomplish today. Make Jesus the Lord of your life. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to open the book of the... You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of Faith Dialogue. 
You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.